Kennedy has just been elected president, a gallon of gas costs 25 cents, and the Greensboro sit-ins spark a series of nonviolent protests against racism. It's 1960, and everything is about to change. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of JumpCast, the podcast from the award-winning team behind Jump Cut Online. I'm Audrey Fox, and this is my film history miniseries. We are going to be going through each decade of film, breaking them down a little bit, and giving the listeners hopefully some suggestions for stuff that you should check out. So far on the pod, we have covered the silent era through the 1950s, and up today is the 1960s, which is a very turbulent decade and I think a really interesting one to look at from a cinematic perspective. But first, I will introduce my wonderful guests. I am joined today by Fiona Underhill and Jeff Zoldi. Hello. 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 How are you guys doing? Good, thank you. Yep, pretty good, all things considered. Awesome. That is what I like to hear. Um, Before we get into individual films and historical context, I want to ask you both sort of a broad and abstract question. What is the first thing that pops into your head when I say 1960s cinema? It could be something from a movie or it could just be like a genre staple or something like that. But what pops into your head first? (laughs) Go for it, Jeff. Okay. Well, I mean, the first thing for me is, I'm sure we'll elaborate on a little bit, is spaghetti westerns. And most notably, I recently rewatched The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. And so for me, when I think of 1960s cinema, I think of the late, great Ennio Morricone's score for The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, the little wah, wah, wah. I think of that. No, wee, wee. That's like a really poor impression. <laughs> but well, it was one hundred percent better than the um sound the the headline that somebody posted. Do you guys oh remember seeing that where it was trying to? <laughs> I can't think of the word, but <laughs> yeah, it was ugly. But like yeah. right out the sound. <laughs> yeah, no, just 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 sound it out like me. Just <laughs> sound like an idiot. But um, yeah, for me, it's spaghetti westerns and kind of the music of spaghetti westerns Fiona how about you um for me it's two main things one is the kind of technicolor psychedelic um Austin Powers style movies so the movies that influenced Austin Powers so things like Barbarella um What's New Pussycat um so movies that reflected the kind of British uh explosion in terms of music and fashion those are very quintessentially 60s to me, as well as the British New Wave films as well, like um, Blow Up and Darling. So ones that were centred around a kind of iconic um, figure of the 60s, like Julie Christie, for example, that would be like a typical 60s movie to me. It's really funny that you mentioned Austin Powers, because when I asked myself this question, um, the first thing I thought of was Austin Powers. And then the second thing, which is not related, but like the the opening shot of The Graduate when um, he's on the sort of conveyor belt at the airport and he's like going somewhere but not going somewhere, um, hmm. that popped into my head immediately too. So, yeah, it's it feels like there's a lot. Um, in my head, I feel like the 60s in terms of cinema is sort of split in between the kind of just a carryover from the 1950s and then also the exact opposite, like the counterculture 
later 60s cinema. Um, so it's definitely an interesting decade that has kind of a pretty clear delineation between the two subsets. Um, which I think is kind of where maybe I'll start with a little bit of historical context. So we're starting in the 1960s. Um, we're still like knee deep in the Cold War, which is super fun for everyone, obviously. <laughs> and um, another thing that's not related to the Cold War is that the production code, which had influenced cinema so much throughout the 30s and 40s and to a certain extent, um, the 1950s, is kind of completely obliterated by this point. Um, you're not seeing the restrictions on cinema in the 1960s that you would have seen that prevented films from blatantly depicting sort of controversial topics. I think in the 1950s, you start to see where films are kind of working around that and still addressing things that you wouldn't necessarily think films from that era of um, cinema would have been addressing but they're doing it in like a very subtle and underhanded way where they're not coming out and saying things. In the 60s, they're coming out and saying things. Um, so that's definitely new and exciting. And um, there's definitely a lot more nudity. The, yeah. <laughs> the nudity yeah. increases a lot in the 60s. Yeah, the sex factor is ratcheted up um, a lot. Because I feel like they're... Um, all, all the film directors of this time period now have this new toy almost where they're like, we get to do whatever we want now. We don't have to follow the rules. We don't have this list of 45 things that we have to follow in every single movie. And so they go a little crazy and do <laughs> whatever they want. <laughs> um, the other big thing is uh, uh, Vietnam War a little bit. But what I think is really interesting about the 60s is I would like for either of you, if you can to name a film that came out in the 60s that is about the Vietnam War that is like set in the 60s about the Vietnam War that comes out in the 60s don't think I can do it <laughs> it's impossible and yeah, the reason <laughs> so I looked it up there are three films that come out in the 60s that are about Vietnam the first two are sort of before the war actually started, when we just sort of had advisors and stuff in Vietnam. And then the third is 1968's The Green Berets, which is a John Wayne film, which is basically just a propaganda movie, an ode to The Green Berets, basically. What? So a John Wayne propaganda film? No. <laughs> Crazy, right? <laughs> um, so it's wild to think that like, while all this turmoil is happening around Vietnam, like Hollywood is not kind of allowed to address it and i think there are some films that come out in the 60s that are war films and specifically anti-war films but they're not allowed to be set in vietnam like they have to be set in you know like the korean war or world war ii or world war one um so as much as i just said everything about like filmmakers can do whatever they want apparently the thing that we're all not going to talk about is vietnam <laughs> so that's fun um but anyway yeah we can just dive in what is what genre do we want to tackle first um because there's a lot I, what about this what if i want to put jeff on the spot right now sorry oh, yay. Jeff. Cool. Um, <laughs> so i think fiona and i have sort of like been truthful about the fact that we are not the biggest western fans mm -hmm. um i would like to give you two minutes to change our minds if you can. Okay, cool. So 
mainly when I think about Westerns like the 1960s and like specifically this era was that it's a really big time of change for like the Westerns. So like we all know like the Western really became super popular in 39 when John Ford released like Stagecoach and it was the first movie with John Wayne in it. And that was kind of like the moment for the Western. And the 50s, it kind of grew in popularity. And then in the 60s, it like explodes and it goes global because you have the spaghetti Westerns. Um, and then you have movies that are also kind of addressing like the end of like the Western almost, which I'll get into in a little bit. But I think when you think of the 60s as like a time of change, like Westerns are a really, really good indication of that because you go from having, you know, the 50s with just John Wayne movies, which is, you know, I guess dad Westerns, for lack of a better term. Um, like your dad's favorite movie is probably The Searchers. Um, and then you get stuff where it's just big, weird movies like, you know, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly which is all, you know, shot overseas and it's just weird and there's Clint Eastwood and all the dubbing is off and it's, it, 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 they're strange movies. And then by the end, you see it kind of come back around with stuff that's kind of like a hybrid of the two with like stuff like Butch Cassidy and like The Wild Bunch. And then those movies are kind of it for like the Western. Like those, these movies drop off in popularity like significantly at the end of the 60s. So I think, to kind of circle back, if you want a really great snapshot of how transformative a period of the 60s was for cinema, like the Westerns are going to get you there. Because you start with John Wayne movies, you have spaghetti Westerns in the middle, and you have like the end of the Western kind of at the end of the decade. That's all in the span of like 10 years. Don't miss it. <laughs> Funnily enough, you did mention two Westerns I really like there, at, right at the end with Butch Cassidy and The Wild Bunch. Um, I mean, I love Butch Cassidy. I know it's going to be for an obvious reason, but <laughs> I do love how utterly 60s it feels. So obviously the soundtrack is a mm -hmm. huge aspect of why that Western just doesn't feel like a normal Western at all. It just, it feels very much a project of its time. The music is really cool, the way it's shot and um, with like those montages and everything, the editing. Mm -hmm. It's just very... To me, that's like an experimental kind of Western. It's not your typical, what I would call a Western. Yeah, I mean, and that goes like beyond the 60s. Like there really aren't a lot of Westerns like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid kind of at all. Like there are a lot that use kind of like like the buddy kind of like elements of it. But the way it's shot and made, like you're right, there's really, for that genre, there's not a lot like it. And there hasn't really been a lot like it since, honestly. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid is definitely my favorite Western. We'll go on record saying that. Um, uh, I think, right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's one that I really like. And I think what I like about it is that, to me, a lot of Westerns, more from the 1950s, because I do agree with you that I think in the 1960s, the Western as a genre is at its creative peak. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very artistic. It's really cool. Um, but the thing that turns me off about a lot of 50s Westerns and earlier, too, is how rigidly they kind of adhere to the genre tropes mm -hmm. and how it's it's really like very cookie cutter in terms of how the, you know they're produced kind of the same way they're they tend to follow the same storylines um and butch Cassidy and the sundance feel, kid feels different to me it's it's not taking itself as seriously it's quirky it's just kind of like different and as we said like experimental so I think that's and obviously like Paul Newman and Robert Redford are yeah. like factors. I'm not gonna like pretend that's not a thing, but come on, that that mustache, you can't 
beat it. Like <laughs> <laughs> cannot be beat. Um, yeah, I think those are a lot of good points. I I will definitely check out some more spaghetti westerns because I feel like those maybe are the road in for me, um, rather than earlier westerns. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching them kind of like on TV when it's like it's like so stereotypical. Like it was like on TV when I was a kid, and it was like kind of on there, and it like just like the way that those are kind of constructed. And I mean, this those are indebted a lot to you know Kurosawa and like samurai movies of like the fifties and early sixties. So I mean, that's a whole conversation onto itself. Um, but I think kind of that like interplay of genres and kind of taking i mean leon has like kurosawa credited as a writer on i think the first two of his clint eastwood trilogy he's kurosawa's credited because the plots are almost entirely lifted from i know one of them is yojimbo i forget what the other one is um but just kind of like pulling from that culture and stuff like that allowed the western to kind of breathe a little more and kind of break that structure which i think it was really stuck in the 50s um as someone who's watched a lot of 50s westerns um they, they were eventually you're like oh boy what did what did the native americans do again how are they evil this time like oh man it's the mexicans wow original um and and so it's like you know it, it doesn't completely defy those tropes but it does kind of move beyond them um it's pretty interesting ways well, that sounds cool um yeah i you know, I, I will definitely give them another look. I feel like in my head, I always think Westerns, and I'm immediately thinking of, like, Shane, and I hate Shane. Oh, I don't, more like, than I don't like Shane either. <laughs> I don't know who put, like, Jean Arthur in a Western. I don't think that's a good idea. I think her voice does not is not nope. suited for Westerns. I think she should be in, like, fast-talking, like, New York kind of she, comedies. <laughs> like, she, needs to, she needs to work at the paper. Like, you know, it's yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other westerns that we should should call out um, that, that by name for people that I've seen that I like. I but I feel like it's literally Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> so I could I could give you a few. It was okay. Um, not to kind of assert myself, but um, we talked about also Fiona mentioned that she likes The Wild Bunch, which is also one of my favorite westerns as well. Um, and I think it's interesting with the Wild Bunch and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. They both came out in 1969, so like we're talking like really end of the decade. Like this is it. And it's interesting because both those movies are kind of surrounded by the fact where it's they they talk about these men, these you know these cowboys who are kind of running out of time in terms of like the Wild West is kind of ending. You know, civilization is coming. Um, you know, time's running out, and how they're kind of adapting to that. And they're two really different takes on it. Um, so, Audrey, I don't know if you've seen The Wild Bunch. Have you seen that one? Um, I think I've seen, like, clips of it in film class, but I haven't seen the whole shebang. Okay, well, if, if you like Butch Cassidy, I think you should definitely check it out. Um, okay. Thematically, it's pretty similar, but stylistically, it's totally different. This one, excuse me, Wild Bunch is, like, brutal. Like, it's a brutal movie. There's mm. violence everywhere. I mean, the whole, the, the, the last scene is, like, a 20-minute, like, extended, just, like, climactic battle where there's, like, machine guns and soldiers and everything. And it's it's huge and it's over the top, but it kind of signifies how 
you know, at that point in time when the movie's taking place, you know, the Wild West is being tamed and it's kind of over for these guys. And it's interesting in the context of like history when you're looking at like it's the end of the 60s, like this decade of like huge change is kind of wrapping up and it's like it leaves you off on like an uncertain note. Like the people don't, people who are left don't really know where they're going. Um, kind of like the genre didn't really know where to go at the end of the 60s. And this is something that I can get into a little more. But like, like I said, in, in the 70s, I mean, the most popular Western of the 70s was Blazing Saddles, which is a satire of the Western, um, which I think kind of says enough. Um, and the fact that, you know, that genre kind of just dropped right off after the 60s ended. Um, so I, I love The Wild Bunch, both like in a, in a historical context and just in like, as a film, it's awesome. Um, in that it kind of borrows from the spaghetti western in that you know it, it's a long movie um a lot of the scenes are kind of just elongated to kind of let things breathe um which is kind of a hallmark of like leon like people criticize his movies because he's like literally never in a hurry to end a scene ever um which is why i love about him because i love the kind of you know melodramatic like at- atmospheric feel that his movies have um which is why they're my favorites um but yeah, I think that's really cool. Another Western, I think, is pretty underseen, and one I'm not particularly fond of, but in the context of the 60s, I think is really cool, um, is a movie, I think it's from 1966. Let me check. It's called The, it's called the Shooting. It has Jack Nicholson in it. Um, in one of his first roles, he plays kind of a... Uh, yeah, it's from 66. Um, he plays kind of like a lone cowboy type figure super mysterious you know almost the almost kind of man with no name kind of stereotype um but this movie is just like layered in anxiety like this is like what we're talking about like when like there's so much change happening in the 60s and like that led to like a lot of anxiety for people kind of in that time where it's like you know what's gonna happen to the world with the cold war and with vietnam and with everything going on it's like you know what the hell's gonna happen to us this movie just like wears that all on its sleeve. And for me, I think the movie doesn't have kind of enough substance to be super interesting, but I think as like a historical document, like I think you, you got to check it out. Um, plus it's like under 90 minutes, which is sweet. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but so that's a cool movie, but just because it's all about kind of, you know, the anxiety of the sixties and kind of like the uncertainty of the future. And that's just like all over this thing. It's super atmospheric. There's very little dialogue. Um, yeah. Check that one out too. Um, I know yeah, I've rambled no, a lot. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is good because like, I, I know a lot about like Westerns as a genre, like the tropes and, you know, Easternization and like, women coming and you know ruining the frontier and all that fun stuff um, but i don't know a lot about the, the like historical um like within individual movies and i i'm very very ignorant of a lot of that so this is good um the only other movie that i can think of that i really like from the 60s that's in the western genre that i've seen is the man who shot liberty valance which kind of goes against everything that i've said because it is sort of a traditional john yeah. wayne western but i actually like it so yeah i mean it's cute. I, I, it's not cute. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's <laughs> adorable. Um, yeah. I mean, people give John Wayne a lot of shit, and I think rightfully so. I mean, and a lot of his movies do kind of follow the kind of same 
you know, plot generally. He plays the cowboy. He's got to come in and rescue somebody from the clutches of like the other, whether it be the Native Americans or Mexican people or what have you. He's got to kind of go and save them because he's the good guy. Um, but I mean, the 60s was also kind of the end of like John Wayne movies. Like he did a couple stuff, things in the 70s. I mean, he was old at that point, and so he was kind of out of the game. Um, well, he also did that movie that shot on like a nuclear testing site, and then everybody got cancer. Yeah. So he was definitely ramping down his his <laughs> presence. Yeah. And so it's like he had like the big ones that he had. He had like the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which is which is a good movie. I like that one too. Um, he had True Grit, like the original True Grit, um, which the I think. Shooter? Did he do that too? The shooter? Shootist? Shootist? Because I feel like it's about an an old gunman who has cancer, and it's like one of the last movies that he did, and it's like sad because. Yeah, I don't know if that was in the 60s. Yeah, that one. It might not be. I have no idea. The Shootist was. That one was in the. uh, That was in the 70s. Okay. So. Um, Yeah, and so he had. Like I said, Liberty Balance, True Grit, and then he had. I think El Dorado, which are all kind of that was another Howard Hawks one um, that he did like Red River back in the forties, um, which is it's kind of cool to see him do another Howard Hawks movie. But other than that, like I mean, those all happened kind of early on into like the middle of the sixties, and by like sixty six was when Good, the Bad, and the Ugly came out. It's like Spaghetti Western Fever was like that's what people wanted. Like they wanted the crazy outlandish gunfire noises and the big over-the-top scores and the evil villains and whatever um they'd kind of move beyond the kind of lone cowboy searching for people out in the desert um so yeah it's just i love westerns um <laughs> and i think this is just such like a great decade and there's so much stuff there's like a little bit of everything like there's like the, the, the spaghettis you got your john waynes and then the ones towards the end are kind of this weird almost fusion of both um, which makes for some pretty interesting stuff. Awesome. That is good information to have. Now, <laughs> anybody who is a listener of this show who's been, you know, silently bitching to themselves about how we don't talk about Westerns enough, <laughs> I hope that you are now satisfied because we have devoted some time to Westerns. Um, Hooray, Westerns! Yay, Westerns! Yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> So let's maybe switch gears and go to maybe the opposite of Westerns, which to me is like the musicals of the 60s, which we love a good musical. Um, (laughs) I feel like the musicals are definitely also split into that where some of them feel super 50s and then some of them are just like wild 60s, like chaotic rides. Um, And so it's really interesting to chart how the, the genre shifts over the decade what are some of our favorite musicals from this time period um west side story is probably my favorite 60s movie overall but it definitely has what you were just saying about it's kind of a hangover from the 50s style it doesn't feel like a particularly 60s film because it's so early in the decade but west side story is just uh the use of color and obviously the choreography is just stunning um, but what I love about 60s musicals is that they really loved to do a 60s technical version of like the 19th century. 
So if you look at My Fair Lady, Oliver, Funny Girl, Hello Dolly, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Mary Poppins, um, all of those are have like period costumes, but then they're the colours are just absolutely insane. So it'll be extremely bright colours for the costumes and the sets, the the lavish sets. I mean, Hello Dolly was known for going massively over budget and just having all these extras, having this insane production design um, and costuming. And I just love how over the top they are. Those The big ensemble numbers and something like Oliver, um, it's, I just absolutely love where it's a big sort of street scene and then all like the sellers start to get involved in the big musical number, that kind of thing. I just can't get enough of it. I love it all. <laughs> And they're doing really well during this time period. I was just looking at the best um, best picture nominees for the 60s, and there's a lot of musical winners. Like West Side Story wins in 61, My Fair Lady wins in 64, The Sound of Music wins in 65, um, Oliver wins in 68. So it's, you know, they're, they're doing well, um, and they're kind of at a creative peak and a... Um, popularity like they're, they're they're popular films which musicals aren't always like there are definitely periods of time when musicals fade out of favor amongst general audiences and i don't think that's the case in the 60s um they're really fun mm -hmm. i love also the style like this is maybe not one of the best musicals from the 60s but it's one of my favorites um how to succeed in business without even trying um because it's just got such a cool aesthetic i think it's like so 60s yeah. And it's got so much of that awesome, like, office satire, which is really fun. Um, and Burt Cooper <laughs> is, uh, we, we get to see him as he starts <laughs> off his career. Um, so that's fun. I, I don't know. There's so many that, that, that were really, really popular and did really well. Um, My, it's in, um, so some of the favorite films of the decade for me because i'm a huge beatles fan is the beatles movies and everyone says of oh, the only good beatles movie is a hard day's night but my favorite is actually help which is can't you know to me again that could not be a more quintessentially 60s movie when you look at uh the four beatles have this sort of um go into this terraced uh, sort of street. So they go into four separate houses on a, on a sort of terraced street. But when they go inside, you realize that all their houses are connected on the inside. And they have this really lavish sort of home. And it's got all these ridiculous elements, um, like it's got a conversation pit and it's got um, uh, like automated sort of vending machines and things in, in their home. Um, help goes through lots of different like exotic locations so they go to the Bahamas they go to the Alps there's like a big skiing number in the Alps um, there's a Buckingham Palace scene it's like it's there's you know help I don't know what the budget was but they certainly <laughs> went all over the world shooting it and it's this crazy British sort of eccentric humor I just I love everything about help and then obviously I love the music as well and then obviously the animated Yellow Submarine film was also came out in the 60s. And I really love that as well with the blue meanies, which were absolutely terrifying <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> um, but the music, you know, is a big reason why I love those movies. I don't think I've seen any of them, any of the movies. They're so good. 
I, I remember a sequence where I think it was John Lennon, but it might have been a different Beatle, had a hole in his pocket. And it was literally like a circle that he could then put on the ground and jump into. I don't know what that's from, but like <laughs> that's the only memory of a Beatles movie cartoon that I remember. There's, there's quite a famous sequence as well when they're in a public bathroom and they turn on the hand dryers and the hand dryers are so strong that they start sucking all their clothes off. And like the wind, <laughs> the wind from the hand dryers and like they're clinging onto it and they're sort of like their bodies are like flailing around in, in, because the wind is so strong and it's pulling their sleeves <laughs> off and stuff on their clothes. That's quite a famous Beatles sequence. But yeah, I just, I know I obviously I'm biased because I love the band, but I think the films are like a really, really good example again of the decade. Like if you want to get a flavour of the decade, because A Hard Day's Night is black and white and Hard Day's Night is more, although it's got ridiculous elements, it's a bit more British New Wavy. It's slightly more in that kind of aesthetic, whereas Help is fully psychedelic, late 60s, you know, completely off the wall kind of movie. So I think you're getting a good flavour of the sort of stages of the decade. I gotta check those out. Hey, yeah, those sound no, good. Exactly. <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, oh, I, I would feel really bad if I didn't talk about The Sound of Music because it's one of my favorite musicals of all time, just because it has a super nostalgic factor for me. I watched it constantly when I was a kid. We had the two VHS set <laughs> and I remember like putting the first tape in the record, the, the rewinder so that it would be ready for the next time that I wanted to watch it, like later that day. <laughs> I was obsessed and I feel like it gave me a lot of why I'm really interested in history and like specifically early 20th century European history um, is like that kind of got me into it. So I love The Sound of Music. A lot of people say that it's cheesy and it's schmaltzy and that the um, songs are great. I love it. I think the great. songs are really good. It has like some incredible stakes. I like it's it's I, I don't know I think it works as a musical I think it works as a drama I think it's really good Christopher Plummer um, is super hot yeah <laughs> he is like the definition of when people say daddy it's Christopher Plummer <laughs> as Captain Montreal <laughs> that's just the only thing that pops into my head um yeah he's a major factor in why I like it too um but you know musicals you can they can be cheesy and and fun and that's okay they don't have to be serious um i like a certain schmaltz factor in my musicals so that's just who i am <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's oh there's so many good ones um i love the respect they get during this era too that they're not sort of just you know i don't know pushed to the side as like oh these are the girls movies girls like musicals these were very popular films amongst everybody um let's see what do we want to talk about next i have a lot of i have like a lot of genres listed um should we go I'm international interested. yeah let's do it <laughs> there's so many good ones um yeah Fee, do you want to start us off um i mean well you are more of an expert than me audrey on things like the french new wave and 
Fellini, Bergman, uh, that kind of thing. I'm just dipping my toe into the water with those kind of giants of the decade. But um, I am going to talk about British New Wave, if that's okay. So um, because I'm always the... uh, the British representative, <laughs> of, like, <laughs> uh, trying to get people to watch more British movies. So um, it's a tradition that came from theatre. So it's, it's known as angry young men or kitchen sink dramas. Um, they heavily influenced the British New Wave. So John Osborne was a playwright who uh, really influenced uh, the filmmakers of the time. Uh, the main directors involved in the British New Wave were Tony Richardson, who um, was married to Vanessa Redgrave and had the Richardsons, so Jolie and Natasha Richardson are his daughters. Um, but he's a, he's one of the main directors of the time, so look back in, angler, in anger, <laughs> loneliness of the long-distance runner, um, A Taste of Honey, the Entertainer are all Tony Richardson movies. And then there's Lindsay Anderson's This Sporting Life, uh, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, which is a really good one. And then John Schlesinger did uh, A Kind of Loving and Billy Liar. And then Ken Loach. So Kez, to me, um, by Ken Loach, it's late 60s, but to me it feels massively ahead of its time. It feels like it's sort of two decades ahead of its time. I think Cares is an absolutely extraordinary film. Um, It's about a young boy who is very lonely and bullied by his older brother, and he forms a friendship with a kestrel. (laughs) It's based on a book, which I studied at school as well. Um... And he kind of invests his entire heart and soul into this kestrel. It's a very heartbreaking film. But what I love is that all these films um, are a look at working class British life, which wasn't represented on screen much at all before the 60s. Uh, Late 50s, it was just sort of starting. But um, 60s is when it really started to be shown on screen. And people are using like their real accents. You're seeing like the north of England, which again, you don't get to see that much before this this time. And it's just sort of gritty and real. The style of acting was very influenced by people like Brando, who were coming out of the uh, the studio in New York. So they were influenced by obviously that really naturalistic sort of Stanislavski style of acting. And um you also get like the British Hellraisers, so you get like Richard Burton, Richard Harris, Oliver Reed, Peter O'Toole in the 60s as well. So the famous kind of drunks <laughs> of the era. <laughs> um, again, com- they all kind of, well, apart from Burton, they they again came from the theatre, the world of theatre, and um, were starting to make headways into film. And so it's this combination of being very sort of real and raw and honest on screen with being quite debauched off screen, uh, which makes for a kind of frisson of excitement. And a lot of the characters are unlikable. So this sporting life, uh, Richard Harris is a really unlikable character, but you can see how massively influenced by Brando he is in his acting style. He's just very, very physical and visceral and fighting against like walls and he's just like he's contained in this really small like British working class northern sort of house but he's 
he's a rugby player so he's like massive and he's like struggling with violent urges and things and they but it's it's this feel that they're kind of railing against the system that they're within and they're railing against sort of middle class domination of culture and they're finally getting to be represented and I just love it love everything about it it's kind of wild that up until this point it was like okay you there's cockney accents and there's like rp queen and king accents yeah. and that's it <laughs> we're not gonna have anything else um, yeah so if i ever hear like a midlands accent because that's where i'm from the, the right in the middle of england if i ever hear like a midlands accent represented i get so excited because it's such an overlooked area of the uk but yeah northern accents as well just hearing hearing that on screen it just feels so we're more used to it now obviously but for that time it was so refreshing and just like oh you know there's other places in the uk that aren't london and it felt quite groundbreaking at the time and that is like pretty subversive like because there's a lot of like class stuff tied up in different accents and and things like that so to have that on screen is is definitely like huge jeff do we have i'm trying to think if we have an equivalent of that here where it's like different accents aren't included ever i don't know because i mean a lot of times you have i think probably the two most prominent people think of like you know american quote-unquote accents probably have like your southern accent like your drawl and then you kind of have like your fast talking like new yorker accent um but yeah. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think. I think that's about it. I mean, because I was I thinking like Southern New York and Boston for some reason. Like yeah. they need to throw in some, you know, like Pocky Cat and Havid Yad stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, Look at um, uh, but like you know Ben Ben Affleck films and uh, Good Will mm-hmm. Hunting and things. So Southie gets represented. Um. But yeah, I know I know what you mean about there's a there's kind of certain accents that you hear mostly. That's why something like Fargo was so refreshing because of hearing the Minnesota accent. Yeah. That was like really unusual and something we hadn't really ever heard before. Yeah, that's that's pretty yeah, oh gosh. That's like really <laughs> close to my home accent, um, because I'm from Buffalo, but basically we have a weird combination of like Midwest canada and um new york so there's a lot of our intonations that kind of go into that minnesota stuff i don't have them because i haven't lived there in 12 years but they're (laughs) they're definitely there um yeah i'm trying to let me look and see what other i mean you watch a lot more um you've you've been going on a deep dive in kurosawa right is there any i have um from the the 60s yeah, I mean, I'm a bit funny with Kurosawa in terms of the films I like by him are not the typical films we really associate with him. So the samurai kind of period movies are not my main interest with him. It's more the noir and the contemporary films, so contemporary to him when he was making them. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bad Sleep Well and High and Low are both really, really good uh, Kurosawa films from this period. And like uh, Jeff was saying earlier about how he influenced Westerns, 
Um, I have seen the two remakes, so obviously Magnificent Seven is the most famous Kurosawa mm -hmm. remake, but there's a much lesser known one uh, called The Outrage, which is a remake of Rashomon, and it stars Paul Newman, so that's where I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's um it's actually really good in some respects so the cinematography it's black and white and the cinematography is amazing and it's bizarrely got a very early william shatner performance in it really and hmm. and like rashomon i think the strongest element of it is the three men in the so in rashomon they're in like a sort of abandoned i'm not sure exactly what it is but the abandoned kind of building and then they're recounting the trial Right. and the events that happen in the forest and to me that's the, the, by far the strongest element of the film and it's the same in the outrage so they're in like a sort of abandoned uh, train station or trading post something like that it's night time it's raining and it's William Shatner and two of the um, older actors and they're obviously discussing the trial and the events uh, Paul Newman unfortunately is like the worst <laughs> pretty much the worst <laughs> aspect because he ha he's playing a Mexican and it's horrendously embarrassing oh. and cringy because oh. yes I know he's he's he he's having to do this sort of accent and it's bad <laughs> and I think the I think the actress is Claire Bloom and I think she might be a British accent and like you were saying earlier about I think Jean Arthur she's totally like a fish out of water in this kind of western doing again a really bad accent she's not like the casting is not good because she's not appropriate for the role at all but this, the cinematography of like the actual part where it's the three men discussing the events is like really really good so it has it does have some good elements but most of it you're just like holding your head in your hands <laughs> just like no stop please um but yeah so i'm a bit weird with kurosawa in that the most famous films that he's known for aren't particularly my favorites but so i encourage people to look beyond the samurai movies and look at his noir films, his war films, as in like World War II, um, uh, because to me they're much more interesting and, well, they're more my kind of thing anyway. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I definitely have felt the same way. Um, I, I've struggled a little bit with some of the more samurai um, films for him, but then liked others a lot. So I think it's definitely just different, you know styles taste, taste. yeah taste yeah. um i have a couple international films that i would be sad if i didn't talk about um one of them is well it's spelled v-i-y i think it's pronounced like via or something it's russian um and it's a russian horror movie from mm. 1967 i have recently watched this like within the past month and a half and love it it's about this um, young priest who is, like, studying to be, you know, he's, I think he's in, like, seminary. And he um, is tasked with watching over and praying for the body of, like, a recently deceased young woman um, over a period of three nights because you're supposed to pray, like, all night for the person. Um, and she's a witch and so it's sort of like each night he's stuck in this like church with this witch who's like trying to you know tempt him and like shake his faith 
and all this stuff and so it's like really intense it's really cool <laughs> um the visuals are are incredible um and it's it's really it's really cool um so i love that i also am a big fan of legati which is french and it's a it's a short science fiction film that is um basically i think the the basis of 12 monkeys like it's very similar to that film from the 90s and hmm. it's it's about like a prisoner who um is tasked with being like a test subject for time travel and he goes back in time and um yeah like a lot of stuff happens it really i saw it years and years ago and it just blew my mind like what you could accomplish with just a series of still images because only some of it is just still images with narration and then some of it is like actual film but like it's huh. so cool to watch it's it's short um and it's amazing and i love it so that's uh something everybody should watch um yeah there's there's a lot of good stuff you guys the 60s has a lot Oh, um, when when we were talking about musicals, we forgot to mention um, Brothers of Cherbourg and Young Girls of Rochefort, uh, which yeah. are Jacques Demy French musicals. But uh, talking about color, use of color, like we were earlier, they are just explosions of color on screen, and yeah, amazing. Oh my god, yeah, like the brightest, most like cotton candy films like just in terms of the color palettes and the costumes mm. crazy wild <laughs> stuff um, yeah um i want to give a quick shout out to daisies which is a czech new wave film uh, by a woman director i'm sorry i've forgotten her name but um, that is a great again quintessential 60s because it's two young women very defiant and very like we're going to do what we want very rebellious uh just kind of going around seducing uh rich older men for their own kind of gain um it's got some of the best depictions of food i've ever seen on screen <laughs> there's just so many scenes where there's like banquets or like they're in a really expensive restaurant and they just like eat so much and then they and then there's some scenes where they kind of destroy the food and they're like dancing in the food they're walking on the tables and their high heels are like walking through the food and stuff it's just it's just it's really really weird and experimental and what you would expect <laughs> from like a 60s czech film basically but I, I, it's really good i love that one i've been meaning to watch that for a long time um it's definitely been on my list <laughs> But now I will move it up the list because it sounds awesome. Um, are you guys big horror people? Do you like horror movies? Yes. Yeah, yeah I definitely have okay. some horrors I want to talk about from the decade. Yeah, I feel like looking at the horror movies that I've seen from the 60s, it feels like sort of a burgeoning of kind of like an independent horror movement, like with I'm thinking of like Night of the Living Dead oh, and yeah. Carnival of Souls, like just yeah. sort of these weird, cool horror movies that aren't just like, okay, Dracula again, or <laughs> it's different. Yeah. Yeah, there's some amazing black and white, creepy, very, very creepy, very psychological movies from this decade. Seconds I saw recently. Oh my God. So I'm Criterion. <laughs> it's completely mind-blowing that film that um, film but, made me so uncomfortable like yeah. watching it i felt physically 
like anxious and it felt like the same way I felt after I watched Hereditary where I was just I didn't feel good <laughs> it, was, yeah, it impacted me so much use of like camera angles it's so disorientating and um, it, it's use of like fisheye lenses and kind of point of view shots and things like that it just makes you feel like you say really uncomfortable um also on criterion at the moment i think it's still there is bunny lake is missing that's a really good uh movie from this decade into uh, it has like a sort of twist in it that <laughs> i mean i'm i'm not the most like i'm one of those people who rarely sees twists coming <laughs> so i was like jaw on the floor when there's a particular twist in that film um because yeah it's it's about like a brother and sister who are searching for this missing girl um and yeah it's just it goes through all these twists and turns and it's very well to me it was very unpredictable and i was like whoa what <laughs> at this certain kind of turning point within the film um and i just want to quickly mention as well peeping tom which uh is my uh, out of everything I've seen, because I've seen about like 15 or 20 60s movies recently to prepare for this pod, and Peeping Tom, I think, was my favourite. Um, it's because it's Michael Powell, I'm obviously quite sort of susceptible to liking it because Powell and Pressburger <laughs> are like my practically my favourite directors. But uh, yeah, Peeping Tom is incredible this incredible colour movie that is about voyeurism and murder and one of my favourite kind of themes and films is like the conflation of sex and death and it's and voyeurism and it's just it's got so much <laughs> so many things that I like in a in a film and I loved Beeping Tom. It it's got yeah, it's got this really good essential performance and it's very weird and creepy and psychological and very good. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. It sounds somewhat familiar to another popular 60s horror movie, uh, which is Psycho, um, which I think is like <laughs> one of I've not heard of it. <laughs> yeah. um... it's, 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 it's pretty indie. Um... <laughs> and... You probably wouldn't have heard of it. <laughs> Um, yeah, to me, like, Psycho is, like, one of, like, the big, like, watershed moments for horror in, like, the 60s. I think that kind of goes hand in hand with, like, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And something like Rosemary's Baby, um, which I think are all pretty, like, substantial, like, foundations for what horror is today. Um, whereas, like... I think, I think Rosemary's Baby is massively ahead of its time again. Like... Oh, yeah. It feels like a kind of 80s movie. Like, it's kind of shocking to me that it is a 60s film, because it just feels really ahead of its time. Yeah. That one is... It, it, it... That one feels like you're watching a nightmare. I mean, anyone who's seen it, like, knows that. <laughs> but, um, for me, it's like, I, I really do, like, love Psycho for what it... How it kind of brings, like, the psychological, like horror up to kind of like the forefront i remember watching it for the first time with like the big twist at the end i was watching it with my girlfriend and her roommate and we were all like what the hell like <laughs> <laughs> when he like turns the corner he's in the dress you're like oh my god um it's it's so good um but to me i and i know you mentioned it earlier fee was the night of the living dead which to me is my favorite horror movie of the 60s just kind of for what it did for the genre um not only did it give us you know 
zombies properly, but there's this word that Romero, there's this term that or like Romero used for saying, he called them like the working class, like monster or something. Yeah. I forget, I forget like what interview or something he said that in, but like that's always stuck with me. Like whenever I watch like a zombie movie and just how much like thematically that movie felt ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, again, with like, you know, the anxieties of kind of like the working class and it was huge because it had a black man in the lead role, um, which in the sixties was like practically unheard of. And he um, slaps a white woman across the face, yeah. which is like, it's, it's such a powerful, shocking moment because like you don't ever see that on film before this point. And, and yeah. getting us to root for that character as well. Yeah. Like he, he's the only character I like in that film. And like we're mm-hmm. with him and he's the protagonist and we're rooting for him. Yeah. It is really revolutionary to do that. He's like a competent leader, calm under pressure. Like yeah. he's, He's great, and, and oh my god, that last scene, mm-hmm. it just, it is earth-shattering <laughs> in how it feels when you watch it. Um, <laughs> such a good movie. It's so good. I love that movie. Oh, Yeah. That, and I also feel like, ties into sort of um, a change in um, films that are that are presented for, like, what black performers to to engage in where like the roles are changing that they're allowed to take on and like the structures of film um like you you get a movie like um guess who's coming to dinner which is Mm. you know this this like upper class white woman in california you know brings her black fiance home for the first time and her parents who are by all accounts you know sort of like liberal we love everybody are are processing how they 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 feel about it and it feels sort of revolutionary that you're dealing with racism and not just the way where it's like oh southerners you know have race issues and that's sort of just how it is um it's 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 like okay there's there's versions of racism that are not burning crosses and going to kkk rallies there's versions of racism that are more insidious and prevalent throughout the entire country um so i feel like that is sort of like a big game changer during this time period um even though that film even that film still struggles with some of his issues and like how it presents Sidney Poitier and how it like I think there's this um I I I don't know it's like a a theme and and sort of like film analysis about this period that presents the idea of like the sex sexless black man who is erudite and you know he just is this you know super super intellectual person and it's it's not he's not allowed to be presented in a way that could be perceived as threatening to like women or white audiences um which is something that i think sydney poitier has engaged with a lot in his career um so it's yeah it's interesting (laughs) um i was shocked to find out that he made in the heat of the night in the same year that they came out in the same year because Obviously, I knew they were both 60s films, but um, yeah, for that kind of double bill in the same year is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, he he did a lot of films that, you know, you're, you're shocked to realize that they, they came out all within like this certain time period because they're all really different and they, yeah, he's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I love Sidney Poitier. Um, yeah, I think also um, there's a movie called Black Girl, which I've just seen recently for the first time, which is um, about a 
young woman from Senegal who moves to France to be a governess for a family and like sort of how they treat her and how she's marginalized. Um, and that's a really good movie. Um, 60 minutes long too. So we, we stand a short <laughs> film. <laughs> um, yeah, but that, that's, that's a good one. It's in French, um, but it's on Criterion, I think, and maybe HBO Max too right now. So worth checking out. Um, do we want to talk about spy movies? Is that a thing that people like from the 60s? Because I feel like there's a lot of good ones. Yeah, I think Cold War movies are really interesting from this period because it's like we were discussing in when we did the 40s episode, Audrey, because it's sort of... Com- I know we were saying like there's no Vietnam movies, but I think the fact that they were trying to make sort of deal with and address the Cold War within the 60s is still really interesting and the fact that they tried to wrestle with it at all when it was basically still going on um so yeah I think that's that the Cold War movies like Spy Who Came In From The Cold, The Ip Ip Chris File, uh Mancurian Candidate um are all very interesting attempts to kind of address what was happening. It, again, it might be through a thinly veiled through like a different war, but it's still very much addressing concerns that are sort of relevant to them in that time. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I think a lot of the spy movies are different in that some of them do present spies as like super cool heroes, like bond james bond (laughs) um but then you get you get like the spy who came in from the cold and it's just like no this is a dirty gross job depressing yeah it's like it's ruined my life um (laughs) everything is bad (laughs) yeah yeah it's interesting that they focus in on that because i think that it is sort of subconsciously maybe dealing with a lot of issues of like paranoia and mistrust that are definitely relevant to the Cold War, but then also other things that are happening in society at the same time. Yeah. Love a good spy movie. I think, the, I mean, the first proper James Bond movie was in the 60s, wasn't it? Wasn't Dr. No early 60s? Yeah, yeah, 62, I think. Yeah. Oh, man. And Goldfinger, and yeah. I mean, the 60s did give us the birth of a couple of franchises. So Bond, <laughs> Bond is, like, obviously the most famous, but... There's also a, a British franchise, I don't know if you guys know it, called Carry On. It's like a comedy yeah, series. Yeah, I've heard of it. Um, and they made like so many of those Carry On movies. I think they made like 30 or something, but that started in the 60s. Um, my favourite one is Carry On Screaming, but they made lots of them. There's like Carry On Camping is a famous one. Um, and they're very British seaside postcard humour. Um, <laughs> so it's all very saucy and racy. And like, there's a matron. There's always a matron. Ooh, matron. And there's always <laughs> there's always like a sort of camp man as well. Kenneth Williams of, often played those uh, roles. Um, and it had this ensemble cast of British actors who were kind of in all of them or in most of them uh and yeah so <laughs> uh, the the birth of franchises in the 60s is a, is an interesting thing that happened yeah and you get a lot more blockbusters too in like the early 60s um 
as a continuation of the fight of how do we get people to go to movies instead of just watching television. Um, Lawrence of Arabia, which took mm. longer to film than it did for Lawrence of Arabia actually to do those things in the film. <laughs> um, it's like just huge, epic stuff. Um, so, yeah, the shadows of like what we'll see later in like the 80s and 90s with that style of, of film. Um, I want to talk about 1967 because it is a wild year and I think it is when you start to see Hollywood catching up with sort of the changes that are occurring in society in terms of like youth focus and counterculture focus um, because you get in 1967 um, The Graduate comes out Bonnie and Clyde comes out Cool Hand Luke comes out and that's enough. Like, I mean, just those three films yeah. coming out in one year is crazy. What, but then, when like, is a mid, Midnight Cowboy? Was that a little bit later? I feel like that's maybe sixty-eight. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, like that tying into it too, where this um, uh, disillusioned young people yeah mm-hmm. are kind of represented in film, and it's not just like the rebel without a cause, the wild one rebels. It's it's like people who are just sort of like okay. I did what society told me to do, now what? And I think you see a lot of people grappling with that in the late 60s, and film is sort of finally starting to reflect that in, you know, with a rush of these films coming out starting in 1967 and then on throughout the rest of the 60s. Um, yeah. I think that's interesting. I mean, there's also, in 67, there's a great, great, great Bob Dylan documentary that came out called Don't Look Back. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen, which is like, I mean, a lot with like as far as like U.S. counterculture goes, you don't get much more counter than like what Bob Dylan was doing in like the '60s. Um, and this is kind of like the the documentary is kind of him, you know, talking to people that he performed with and talking with artists and fans, and it's like all this like really like heady like philosophical kind of debate. And it's as like a token, it, it's one. I mean, it's really good period but like as far as like looking at in context of like that year when everything's starting to catch up and the counterculture is kind of coming to the front um i mean that movie is like kind of really embodies that i'm also a big bob dylan fan so i mean it's hard (laughs) not to be he's wonderful (laughs) um i think a really interesting film that is makes a great double bill with the graduate is the swimmer from 1968 so the graduate is obviously about a um recently graduated from college young person who is drifting um and we see him drifting on like um an inflatable thing in his pool and he's drifting in life and drifting in the pool and then the swimmer is Bert Lancaster um he's middle-aged so he's <clears throat> he's like the middle-aged version of Benjamin Braddock and he um, decides to get home one day <laughs> via all of his neighbours' swimming pools. He decides he's going to swim his through his neighbours' swimming pools. <laughs> so, um, and it's such a weird film. It's got an amazing central performance by Burt Lancaster. It's so strange. Like, you gradually, throughout the film and throughout this day that he's having where he's swimming through all these pools obviously you start to find out more about him and more is revealed and 
like it's so dark and he's obviously having like a midlife crisis and that's why I think it's such a good double bill with The Graduate because The Graduate is all about you know the young sort of clashing with the middle-aged parents and how they're very much a product of the 50s and you know the 50s suburban kind of housewife culture is all very different to what we're starting to see in the 60s which is the emerging of the rebellious adolescence and then obviously towards the end of the 60s you have things like Woodstock and hippies and everything mm. uh, and then Vietnam so the swimmer is because he's a middle-aged character I just think it makes such an interesting double bill with the graduate because he's a middle-aged character going through sort of similar issues and problems to to Benjamin Braddock because he's drifting he's struggling with life he's having this midlife crisis and he's dissatisfied with with his sort of suburban existence uh, oh it's so good I watched it maybe six months ago I think maybe a year ago and it absolutely blew me away it's just incredible I really like the idea of both of them having like the same visual and thematic motif yeah. That's really, really cool that they're, like, within a year of each other, and they're yeah. both doing that. Um, okay. Okay, so I feel like, at least for me, we have hit a lot of the things that I wanted to talk about, but I want to open the floor to you guys a little bit, because I don't want you to, to leave this pod having missed something that you wanted to say about 60s cinema, because that would make me sad. And if there's any recommendations you have that you want to share, or if there's like a genre that you really, really like that we missed, open to discussion. I would feel a little remiss if we didn't at least mention 2001 when we're talking about cinema from the 60s. Because um, like in in the 50s, like a lot of sci-fi was this kind of like small scale, super like fantastical mostly allegory for the cold war and those kind of anxieties but like 2001 really kind of again it's like the foundational text for like kind of like a lot of like big like heady like sci-fi as we know it um and then like visually like it to have that come out in the 60s is like insane like nothing in like the sci-fi genre had really looked like that or looked kind of that kind of grounded um yeah i mean people smarter than i have said a lot of things about 2001 um but i think when you're talking about like cinema in the 60s i think that it is like one of like the essentials um as far as like kind of understanding that era and kind of filmmaking in that era and kind of you know what you know what's happening yeah, I we have not talked about Kubrick at all, and that makes me, that that <laughs> feels like an oversight. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> um, Lolita is my favorite '60s Kubrick because I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's fair. I think. What are the other '60s Kubricks? There, um, uh, Doctor Strangelove. We didn't mention yeah, that when we were talking about Cold oh War movies. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like it's a such a brilliant skewering of you know the war movie the spy movie it's obviously a big commentary on both those things and it's amazing well i mean i just feel like <laughs> kubrick made a masterpiece you know in each genre so he made one of the best comedies of all time dr strangelove made one of the best sci-fis of all time with 2001 
and then obviously going into the decades he made you know one of the best horrors of all time and he just you know I'm going to make the best in this particular <laughs> genre and everyone else can just deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that feels that feels accurate. Um, <laughs> Kubrick, you know, he's a... He's good. <laughs> he's, he's a good guy. He makes pretty good movies. <laughs> um, he also, like, very much terrifies me, though. I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary Film Worker, but, like, it makes me feel a lot of things. Um... It's about uh, Liam Vitale, who was in Barry Lyndon, and he was, he, I think he, he played the stepson in, in Barry Lyndon, and then he decided to sort of, like, give up his acting career and just work as Kubrick's assistant and sort of, like, handle all of these specific projects for all the films that Kubrick was working on. So he was the one who, like, auditioned the little boys to play Danny for The Shining, and... He helped um, the guy who plays the drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket practice, like, all of his lines and get them, like, really, really rapid fire. So, like, he did all these little things, but, like, he basically gave his entire life to further Stanley Kubrick's vision. And, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a wild ride, and it kind of it makes me very scared of Kubrick as a person. <laughs> it's like Hitchcock and Kubrick, I think, would have been an absolute nightmare to work for and <laughs> to act for. But we get to enjoy his movies. Oh my god, I, 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 I don't think I could ever act for either of them, because Hitchcock just treated them all as, like, little puppets that he could move around, and Kubrick demanded, like, blood, Perfection. sweat, and tears, yeah, <laughs> so. Well, that take yeah. was good, now do it 200 more times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think the 700th one was really where you got it. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm trying to look at my list to see if there's anything that I'm like... Um, I want to quickly mention two car chase movies of the 60s. So one is The <laughs> Italian Job and one is Bullet. So I feel like the 60s was like the start of so many different genres, you know, where we're starting to see, um, you know, like you were saying about blockbusters or sci-fi or horror the 60s just you know emerged so many different things that's why it's so hard to like <laughs> rein in what we're talking about on this pod because it, it, there's so many offshoots in so many different directions but yeah bullet and the italian job are great car chase movies that is a good shout i <laughs> i think that's definitely worth talking about um i want to mention charade because it's not really fallen into any of the other <laughs> <laughs> categories and it's really good you know it's um it's good it's got like my namesake which i love um <laughs> you know carrie Car grant audrey hepburn feels sort of hitchcockian but like not i don't know it kind of shocked me that this wasn't a hitchcock movie um but yeah I don't know. And um, we, I mean, we have to mention Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is one of the classic 60s movies. Um, I also want to mention Two for the Road, which is a 60s Audrey movie, which is really unusual. It's about a couple's marriage and divorce. And 
the way it's edited is so interesting and it's got all this juxtaposition between sort of earlier in their relationship and then at the end it's a bit like blue valentine (laughs) in terms of you see like the two halves of their relationship like the good half and the bad half but it's all intercut so you keep cutting between when things were good and then like the end of the relationship when things are bad oh it's so good it's just massively ahead of its time and very good who is she paired off with in that one? Albert Finney. Okay, so he's right. maybe a little closer to her age than some of her other co-stars. I've noticed like a kind of a trend with Audrey Hepburn movies. There's some that don't fall into it, but like Charade, pretty significant age gap. Um, what's that other one with P- um... Peter O'Toole in How to Steal a Million? I think he's around her age, maybe. Yeah, there's there's the one with um. Is it Gregory Peck? I think Gregory Peck or Gary Cooper. I can't remember. Probably Gregory Peck. Um, where he's like in his fifties and looks much older, and she's like twenty six. Um, there's yeah, he got paired up with some some older gentlemen sometimes. Yeah, definitely. But that's you know, that's fine. I'm trying to figure out what this is. <laughs> um. Okay, yeah. Billy Wilder, Love in the Afternoon. That's a 50s movie, though, but it's it's Gary Cooper and yeah. Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fee talking about Bullet kind of sparked my mind, where it's like, just Steve McQueen movies in the 60s? Like, he was kind of a genre or, yeah. all to mm-hmm. himself. Like, especially with, like, The Great Escape and stuff like that, which yeah. are just, yeah. these just, like, exciting, almost, like, adventure type movies that it's, like, it's, like, it's, like, kind of, like, war and kind of, like, you know, whatever it's like, he was just kind of doing his own thing. I mean, he was yeah. like, he was the guy, and he's um, he's he's an incredibly cool '60s guy in the World War Two movie. Like, mm-hmm. he's he's very yeah. much, a, you know, this is me, and I'm the cool contemporary guy, but I'm going to do a war movie. Kind <laughs> yeah, <of>. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't. I we didn't get into really comedies that much, which I feel like I always end up overlooking because I I don't know why, but. Um, Nutty Professor is a lot of fun, and also the producers, which, you know, I love a musical parody um, that is just wild with Gene Wilder, and, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. So, I, shockingly, I have never seen the producers. It's pretty fun. Um, it, it feels, like, it's not shocking, but it, it feels, like, transgressive for the time period that you're watching. Yeah. Um, sure sure it would have been pretty shocking for the time. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely like you, you feel that like, oh, okay, they're doing that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um so I like that. Is there anything else that we should we should, you know, talk about before the next pod where I get when, into the When do I get my ten minutes on Paul Newman? <laughs> oh yes. Uh <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, yes. Ten minutes. Paul Newman right now (laughs) okay (laughs) so i am the uh, resident paul newman expert (laughs) and i have i think i've brought him up in well i've brought him up in the 50s and i I have to talk about him in the 60s because i've seen 15 paul newman 1960s movies um and i do think i think when you do like a deep dive into an actor you get to see a really good range of films so from the 60s for example i feel like i've seen a really good range of films because i've seen his movies um 
Yeah, you. I think you briefly mentioned Cool Hand Luke, which is um, a really, really good one. Uh, he was in a Hitchcock movie in the 60s, Torn Curtain. He was in some westerns, so he was in Hombre, The Outrage, which I mentioned earlier, um, Hood, which I think you can kind of call a western. It's set in like a western setting, but it's black and white. It's more of a drama than the western, really, but Hood is so, so good. Hmm. Uh, Sweet Bird of Youth, so another Tennessee Williams, who is who was in in the 60s. Uh, the Hustler, which is an absolute classic Paul Newman 60s movie. And That's then very he, he was in <laughs> he was in some really classic sixties movies like I was talking about before with like the sort of Austin Powers, yeah baby, psychedelic kind of thing, which you wouldn't expect from Paul Newman at all. But there's a couple, so Lady L, What a Way to Go, um, are two very very 60s movies like the what i called the most 60s <laughs> that, that that paul newman was in and you're definitely seeing a different side to paul newman like it's re- they're really funny uh there's low they're really weird and have, like lots of different costumes and sort of time periods and things going on um both lady l and what a way to go are about women who get through a lot of husbands um as well so that's like a sort of 60s woman that you're you're getting to see paris blues is notable for being i believe the only paul newman film where he has a beard (laughs) 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 um it's got sydney portier in as well and it's set in paris and it's in the jazz scene so it's just very very early 60s cool kind of film um so yeah, if you if you follow one actor, if it, obviously if they've made a lot of films in that particular decade, if you follow them through, then you're you're sort of dipping your toe into so many different genres, and you're really getting to getting a good sense of the decade. Yeah. <laughs> I, have you have you seen um, Torn Curtain? Yes, I have. Yeah. Okay. So it's not great um i don't think it's not the best hitchcock by any stretch it's not the best hitchcock movie it's not the best paul newman movie it's whatever but i do think it's so hilarious that he opens with paul newman and julie andrews in bed together just because i think it's just setting the stage for like okay like i know this isn't what you expect of either of them but like this is what we're doing not so much paul newman but like julie andrews (laughs) yeah that's true um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of like Paul Newman being cast as like a Nobel Prize winner and like a sort of physicist and various roles where it's like, really, <laughs> really Paul Newman, is that what you are uh, in, yeah, in this decade? I don't, I don't know if I'd buy that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, there, there's lots of collaborations with Joanne Woodward again in this decade as well. Um, a New Kind of Love is a nice uh, Joanne Woodward movie. Um, there's just, yeah. There's Harper, which is like a, uh, he's a private detective, I think, in that one. Um, It's just, I mean, it's something I like doing. I like going through either director or a star's filmography and seeing as much as I can. And like I was saying, you get to get a good sense of lots of different genres and things. Mm. I think it's cool to also see, like, how their career has evolved and, like, where where I think you can see where their mind is at at certain points, like what they're kind of trying to do and 
when you watch them um, like throughout a longer period of time, you can really see more insights into their process of like, these are the types of roles I'm going for right now. And this is what I'm doing here. And especially with a decade like the 60s, where it tra- utterly transformed from the start of the decade to the end, like, you know, everything about life, politics, society, culture, everything, you know, had completely changed from the early 60s to the late 60s. And so you're really seeing that journey if you sort of track somebody through that decade. Yeah, and it's like 1960, Psycho comes out. That's the first time you see a toilet flushing on on film. (laughs) Oh my god! Subversive. Like (laughs) by 1969, like look at where we are. It's wild. Um, Yeah, something like Barbarella, which has an extended (laughs) nude scene at the start, like for ages. It's just Jane Fonda undressing, (laughs) and then later in the same film, you're getting the orgasmatron. Like, <laughs> when you think about, yeah, like we were saying, where society was at the start compared to the end. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, like, pushing pushing buttons and, like, seeing how far you can sort of extend this out and, like, trying to figure out where the new lines are because so many of the standards, I think, within the industry were being broken down and then reconstructed over a 10-year period where we're like, okay, this is what we're okay with, we're not okay with this, but this is fine. Um, so it's an interesting, constantly changing decade of film, which is cool. Um, any last words on the 60s before I have to descend into the beige color palette of the 70s on the next episode? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't love the 70s, but that's fine. Oh, um, Far From the Madding Crowd. Can I give a shout out to that? Yeah, that's definitely oh, we didn't, in like my top 10 60s movies. We didn't talk at all about like all of the the wild number of period dramas in the yeah. 60s with like crazy costumes and stuff. Dr. Chivago as well. Uh, Tom Jones is a great 60s period movie. But yeah, Far From the Madden Crowd is uh, Judy Christie and Terence Stamp. Terry meets Julie and it's just absolutely beautiful. They're just two beautiful people in a beautiful film and it's all heartbreaking and I love that one. Yeah. Aw. That's nice. That's a good film. <laughs> um, there's some that just feel like just nice, like comforting. <laughs> I feel like you know what you're getting with a period film that's sort of based on a novel and <laughs> it's, it's a good vibe. Um, oh, To Kill a Mockingbird, we haven't mentioned either. Oh my god. You're right. Oh, man. <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. How, are we, how are there still movies we haven't... Oh my god, they're of that caliber that we haven't talked about. Um, <laughs> it's never... We're never going to be able to wrap Co- this up. Cover everything. <laughs> Two hours. Um, the rest of this no, podcast I... is going to be like, oh, we forgot to talk about this. <laughs> I'm already like looking at my letterbox being like, oh my god, no, we didn't... <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird is incredible. Yeah. Um, so, so good. Um, Gregory Peck's amazing. He's so I, good in that. Yeah, and the, kid, I love the, kid the kids. actors yeah. are so good. So good. So, I'm still thinking about it. I'm, just like, <laughs> I'm thinking about him, like, standing guard outside the prison and, you know, so that the mob doesn't come. Gets me. <laughs> good movie <laughs> um we didn't talk about like planet of the apes which is another great 
movie that I think taps into that 60s just mm, disillusionment. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're not we're not gonna have happy endings anymore. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, sci-fi <laughs> with like two thousand and one and Planet of the Apes really was so dark and psychological, wasn't it? It just went really like. I mean, you do have Barbarella, which is like the other extreme <laughs> of like <laughs> everything's just gonna be crazy and kind of happy and sexy. But then, yeah, shit got dark. Shit got real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like with Planet of the Apes, there's no catharsis. There's mm. no like okay yeah things were bad but now they're everything's okay at the end it's like no no things are worse than ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah good times yeah good times great oldies i love it um the 60s have a lot of really good movies gonna you know gonna take a stand hot take (laughs) 60s are a good period for film i feel like that could be the new ending um it's like on the 538 podcast they use like good use of polling bad use of polling mm-hmm. the end of each one will just be like good decade bad decade <laughs> and i feel like <laughs> you can't say bad decade to any of them but you know 70s maybe who knows <laughs> no no i there's it's wild there's like five to ten movies from the 70s that i absolutely adore and are among some of my favorite films but then same th- that's kind of it there's a lot <laughs> that i don't like so but that's fine. That's me. Uh, all right. Well, you know, this has been a good chat. I feel <laughs> like we got in a lot of movies, so people should have plenty of options to watch um, over the next, you know, few weeks, months. Um, should we run so- through and give, like, recommendations from each of us before we sign off here? I think that'd be kind of fun. Sure. Just, like, yeah. pick a few and be like, hey, watch these. Yeah. Let's yeah, maybe we can do that and maybe we can each pick ones that are like maybe not like of the top ten of the decade that are sort of things that people maybe haven't seen that are hmm. more, you know. Cool. Like n- not movies that aren't in our personal top ten, but just not like, you know, the ones that everybody mentions. Um I think that would be worthwhile. Cool. So I don't know how they're People can pick how many they want to do. I we don't, I don't need to overstructure it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it just literally popped in my head. Um, so I'll start. Um, the first one is, as you guessed it, a Western. Um, and it's one of the spaghetti Westerns I didn't talk about. And it is a pretty popular movie. Um, but a lot of people, when they talk about Sergio Leone, kind of think about like his Clint Eastwood movies and that's it. And this is Once Upon a Time in the West, which is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, it has Charles Bronson in the lead. Henry Fonda plays the bad guy. He's was like America's sweetheart, and he kills a child in the first half hour, um, which is pretty tense. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they make Crushed a it. they make a point. It's like you see these like these people get gunned down. It pans up. It's like Henry Fonda, and you're like, holy shit. Um, which is like again like a pretty cool like transgressive like here's what we're doing like this. He was like one of like our acting sweethearts, and now he's the villain. Like we're going against the grain here. Um, so there's that one, which everyone should check out. Um, also, Easy Rider. I don't think we mentioned Easy Rider. We didn't. No, I was um, going to say that's quite a big one. We didn't mention. Um, yeah. yeah, which is like one of the big like Americana like films. Um, so if you haven't seen Easy Rider, check that out. Obviously, um, and then. I think anything else I didn't bring up. 
Oh, yeah. And then I know Fee talked about how with Kurosawa that she's not a big fan of the samurai movies. I'm a big fan of the samurai movies. Watch Yojimbo because that movie rules. Um, and that's the one that was that had Leon credited him for because for a few dollars more is beat for beat the same plot as Yojimbo. It's just like a Western. It's like fascinating. They kind of they both came out in the sixties. Um, I think for a few dollars more came out three years after Yojimbo came out. And it's like the turnaround and like the kind of translation between cultures is fascinating. Um, so if you're gonna watch the spaghetti westerns, watch the Kurosawa's first. Okay. Or watch them. Those after. are some. Yeah. I think just watch them is the important. Just part. watch them. Yeah, just watch <laughs> movies. Just watch them. Just movies. That's a good tagline for the film industry. Mm. Movies. Just watch them. Just watch them. Um, <laughs> B, what do you got? So my British recommendations are Carry On Screaming, Cares, and A Taste of Honey. Um, I did a double bill recently of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which are kind of similar in terms of them both being quite contained in like one set so in this house where everyone hates each other <laughs> so obviously <laughs> baby jane is that famous two-hander with joan crawford joan crawford and betty davis and it's these two sort of warring sisters and then virginia wolf is richard burton and elizabeth taylor kind of deconstructing their marriage on screen i just think they're both really brave and they've both got such interesting parallels between the off-screen relationships in both cases um, um, Hitchcock, I want to mention Marnie because I feel like it's an overlooked Hitchcock and I think it's fa psychologically fascinating. Um, Michael Caine movies, Alfie is obviously like a fun Michael Caine 60s movie. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. I think I've mentioned everything else I wanted to talk about. But Peeping Tom is like my really big recommendation. Like I say, out of everything I've seen recently, and believe me, I've seen a lot of 60s movies recently. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Peeping Tom, Tom is my favorite. All right, that's a good list. We have, we have a good list going so far. Um, <laughs> my shout outs are going to be my Night at Mods, which is uh, a French film from 1969. And it's about um, this, like, kind of Catholic guy. Um, and there's sort of a more liberated, divorced woman who has, like, a big personality. And they have, like, they spend the night together and they talk a lot about just, like, random stuff. And, of course, it's French, so, like, they have sex, too. <laughs> but um it's it's you know it's it's like walks a really cool line between like these kind of um philosophical conversations and like their beliefs and things but then also other stuff going on it's um Eric Romer so one of his his movies um what else if is good i think um i hesitated to put it on the list because it bothers me that it has four dots after it, like if dot, 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 instead of just the standard three ellipses. So <laughs> that I don't love, but it's, it's sort of like a, a like an English boarding school satire of like social hierarchy. And it's got um 
Malcolm McDowell in it, and it's sort of, yeah, pretty transgressive, I would say. Um, and what else? Oh, um, you know, maybe if you like documentaries, The House is Black is good. Um, it's an Iranian film directed by um, a female director, and it's sort of um, her filming part of a leopard colony and then juxtaposing that with like poetry and parts of the Quran and just um, so like contrasting ugliness and beauty basically is like the idea of it. But then it sort of goes into their like daily routines within the leopard colony. And so it's it's really, really interesting. It's like 20 minutes long, but it's cool. Um, yeah, you know, I think I talked about a lot of the ones that I would suggest. So so that's where I'm going to stop. Um, any last words? Is that are we? You guys feel okay? Not stressed about leaving here without <laughs> having talked about anything important. Um. Okay. So I want to thank you guys so much for being here today. I have really enjoyed our conversation. We talked about a lot of good movies. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for, for having me. <laughs> yeah. We'll have you guys back, of course. Um. Anytime. It's always good. So. Thank you to everybody for listening. Um, and as always, thanks to our Patreon-only God Subscribe members, all of our Patreon subscribers. Um, we want to especially call out Chris Wilson, Let There Be Light Productions, Zoe Baines, Daryl Griffiths, Sam Luck, Orla Smith, Peter Hodgkins, Nicole Pott, and Andy Meekind. Thank you so much. We love you guys. And Jessica's mom, who just became an Only God Subscribes. And Jessica's uh, mom, who just became an Only God Subscribes. <laughs> she that only happened remember. like yesterday. So okay. yeah, we've got to give her a shout out too. Yes, shout out to Jessica's mom. We love you. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, pop back next time when we will be talking about the 70s. Um, should be a good conversation. Um, until next time. Bye.